Hello, patrons. This is Ask the Minimalist Anything, number 53. Yeah. We're here with Malabam on the other side of the camera. She's got a microphone. She's going to be asking your questions. Malabama, how, how about we start with uh, Bailey's question? Hi, Josh and Ryan. Here's my question for you. I know you've both traveled a lot, and I'm curious. When you're traveling internationally, does your minimalist lifestyle, and in particular your minimalist feelings towards food, change at all in the name of experiencing that culture? For example, do you stay in basic hotels or will you stay in an Airbnb filled with knickknacks and things so that you feel immersed in where you are? Will you go walk around a European Christmas market or stroll through an Asian mall just for the experience? Hmm. Man, um, that's a great question. I do not need uh, an international excuse to try tasty food. Um, <laughs> I pretty much uh, struggle with that all the time. Like whenever I'm around something that is unique and someone's like, oh, you got to try this nine times out of ten. I'm going to try that thing. But yeah, I do. Personally, I enjoy going out and experiencing the the international food fair. I mean, uh, it's it's an experience. And that's really what makes the traveling uh, pretty fun and awesome. As far as like the Airbnbs go, yeah, we'll stay whatever makes sense. We don't go out of our way to like stay in anything fancier. It's really about uh, location and the cost. And if it happens to be an Airbnb with lots of knickknacks, it's not like Josh and I go in there and, and judge all their knickknacks or anything like that. And we're also not compelled to like take them home with us either. Right, like, exactly. Oh, this is making me want to buy more things, right? Yeah. I think my minimalist principles stay intact. In fact, they help me travel yeah. better. So I'll give you an example. Ryan and I travel with just one bag. Ryan mm-hmm. has a backpack. I have like a shoulder bag. Mm-hmm. And I will pack the same way if I'm traveling for a week. If we're going on tour for a week or four days, mm-hmm. I'll pack the same day for those four days. Then when you and I went on the road for an entire 10 months straight right yeah i pack the same amount of stuff every time yeah. i have the same boundaries which is the confines of that bag and then if i had a giant suitcase and that bag in fact i was picking my wife up from the the airport recently ryan and i realized that that experience is somewhat mimetic of someone's overall life mm. meaning quite often i will see someone who is coming out of the airport with four pieces of luggage of their own. Yeah. And it stresses me out for them. Yeah. Because I realize that, oh, you're carrying a lot of things with you that are literally and also figuratively Mm. weighing you down. But by letting go of those things, by setting up the boundaries that work for me, I'm not as weighed down. The lighter I travel, I'm constantly trying to be like Jack Reacher. Um, Sean and I have been, and I think Jordan was even watching the the show that came out recently. We're we're a fan of uh, Lee Child. He wrote this character called Jack Reacher, who's the ultimate minimalist. He basically travels with a toothbrush and a passport, Mm -hmm. and that's it. He has no bag, nothing, just just the clothes on his back. Mm -hmm. Now, if that was my standard, I'm never going to meet that standard. But that is sort of the ideal to which I aspire. <laughs> how can I get as close to that as possible? And I've tried different things on the road. I've tried how many days can I pull off the same T-shirt if we're doing tour stops every night. Yeah. My record was seven nights. I had the same T-shirt on. Oh, man. You don't have the sweat like I do, man. Right. And so it's different <laughs> for each of us, right? Yeah. And even then, most people wouldn't notice as long as you're not within six feet of them. Right, right, right. Uh, they're, they're not going to notice unless you're like pitting out the shirt. Uh, other than that, I also carry my non-consumerism when I'm traveling. So I don't feel compelled to buy knickknacks or tchotchkes or souvenirs. The experience itself is a souvenir. Amen. We have a question from Deepa. Hi, Joshua. I have a question for you regarding living alone whilst you're married. How do you stay close, intimate, and connected? 
I recently separated after being married and living with someone for 20 years. I struggled and still do struggle living with people. I lose myself, my clarity, my thought, and my anxiety, and nerves take over as I haven't had enough alone time. I would love to hear about how you maintain a close connection with your wife. Dude, do you remember when we were uh, having dinner at Ramsey's? Yeah, we were with Dave Ramsey and his wife and some of his family. Yeah, and it came up that Bex and Josh lived separate, and I the looks on their faces were... Um, well, because it's out of the norm. It's not, or it's out of the average, I guess, maybe is a better way to it's say it. It's outside the norm, for sure. Yeah. It is abnormal. Mm-hmm. But isn't most of what we do abnormal, Ryan? Yeah, We're yeah. minimalist. How abnormal is that? Right. In fact, if something is normal, I'll question it a whole lot more than if it's abnormal. Mm. Because normal just means what? The regression to the mean. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just might not be appropriate or might not be optimal for me or for you. Or what is optimal for you may be totally inappropriate for me. Mm. And so I think we have to consider that. So Bex and I live apart half the time. She's a strong, independent woman, has her own place, and we have a kid together. Mm. Um, My stepdaughter, her her daughter, although I, I consider her my daughter as well. And I spend most of my time alone. In fact, the people in this room are the people I spend the most time with. Mm. And so it's really important for me to connect with people that I really like. The reason we work with these people is we really like them. Mm. If, you, if you don't like the people you work with, it's so much harder, right? And then so you look for an escape outside of work. Ryan, I'm sure you used to do this in the corporate world. Oh, yeah. You know, after you know, five, six, seven o'clock rolls around, now I'm going to go spend time with the, the drinking buddies. Or oh, whatever. I had all the escapes. <laughs> whether it was with people, whether it was with mind-altering substances, whatever it was, yeah. Um, and now, now you've constructed a life from which you don't need to escape. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like with with my wife Mariah, I love her, but I also really like her, and that's really important in a relationship because we like to be around each other. We're not we're not vying to get away from each other. We're not annoying each other. Uh, we are, we're very symbiotic in that, in that way. Um, but I can't tell you how many times, how many relationships I had where I might've loved the person, but I didn't really like them. (laughs) Yes. And this is the biggest misconception. In fact, we so struggle saying those three words. I love you. I can say that to Mallory right here. Mallory, I love you. And it's okay to say that, right? I can say it to Danny. Danny, I love you. Podcast Sean, I love you. Jordan, no more. I love you. Who struggles with that Mm. well why do we struggle with that because culturally we've misunderstood love for the Mm. longest time Mm. we wrap up everything in love it's the the highest virtue and it may be an incredible experience Mm -hmm. there are other words for love like truth or seeing or awareness Mm. or some people might even call it happiness right tranquility equanimity All of these things can mean the same thing. Unfortunately, when we talk about love in our culture, we're often talking about attachment. And I'm not attached to Bex in the way that I used to be attached to other relationships. And when I say attached, I mean attached to a particular outcome. I need it to be this way in order for me to be happy. Yeah, maybe another way to look at it is dependence. Yes. 
because yeah. you know attachment is one thing like i'm attached to mariah in the sense that i love her and i have an attachment to her because she's a very important person in my life same thing with you josh i love you very important person in my life if i lost either of you i would be devastated so there's there's an attachment there that if it was separated mm-hmm. i would be devastated but there's not a dependence on well i need josh i need mariah i need these people in my life otherwise i can't live a meaningful life and i think that's where uh, where, where a lot of people make a mistake, where they go from uh, they go to de- the to the dependence piece of it. Yes, and so let's get to the heart of the question. Every relationship needs love, but they mm-hmm. also need like, as Ryan illuminated there. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Chris Ryan, Doctor Chris Ryan, calls this compatibility mm-hmm. in a relationship, mm-hmm. and then in a rom- romantic relationship, you want lust as well, right? Or chemistry, right? Yeah. And even in non-romantic relationships, you want some sort of chemistry. Like Ryan and I have a chemistry about each other, with each other. Yeah, we do. And who knows? Is it a sexual (laughs) chemistry? Maybe. You only know if you're one of the VIP supporters on Patreon. That's right. It's like the OnlyFans level of the minimalists. The answer is no. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) But it gets to the heart of this question. How do you maintain a close connection with your wife? It's actually from the distance that allows me to have that close connection. Mm. Because if I was around Bex all the time, it would actually damage our connection. And so for me, finding the appropriate distance is what is important to keep our relationship thriving. Not just the love, because I'll always love her, but maintaining that like and that chemistry or that lust. Mm. That is equally important. And we do that by sort of moderating the the distance, the balance that we have, and when it's out of equal, equal, and when it's outside of the equilibri- equilibrium of the relationship, what I will do is find ways to spend either more time with her or less time with her. Mm. That longing, you know, when you have that separation, actually creates a greater desire to be in the relationship. Mm. Nicole has a question for us. Hey, Josh and Ryan. My question. After three years of inner work, I'm finding that I no longer connect with TV shows and movies as much. I've rewatched old favorites and found they represent unhealthy relationships as normal or films where everything just keeps going, wiping stress me out. Mm. There are still some films that I have stood the test of time and make me happy when I need a laugh. There, I also stopped playing video games as they don't match my values anymore. However, I still find myself in the habit of watching plenty during the week. Thus, I'm considering getting rid of my television. Should I get rid of my TV, or is this just poor boundary setting with myself? Well, there are no shoulds. There's nothing you should do in this situation. The question is, is if you get rid of your TV, what are you making room for? And that's what minimalism is. It's it's not. It doesn't le- It doesn't uh, uh, necessarily make you happy. It's not like you can throw away everything and immediately start experiencing perpetual bliss. What you're doing when you simplify is you are creating room for happiness. So the question again: If you get rid of your TV, what are you creating room? for and that'll help you uh, answer that question but should you or should you not i'm i'm not the person to tell you that yeah i think it's spot on although if i were in your shoes i would definitely get rid of the tv if it were me not mm-hmm. prescribing that to you mm-hmm. nicole but it sounds to me like it's getting in the way so you were asking your question should i get rid of the tv or am i doing a, a poor job setting boundaries well both might be true you may benefit let's not say should would you benefit from letting go of your tv 
It sounds like it. Maybe. Are you having trouble setting boundaries? Yes, but you don't have to set the boundaries if you've gotten rid of the thing that is causing the trouble in the first place. Yeah. We only need boundaries when we recognize that there is a problematic behavior or habit or routine that we engage in regularly. Personally, I will never buy another TV. I will tell you this, that we moved into an apartment four plus years ago now. And there was a TV on the wall when we got there. The, the previous tenant left it. And so we watch it from time to time. And yes, I have set up some boundaries uh, around TV watching. But personally, I would prefer to simply not have that distraction. I like removing those things from my life altogether so that I'm not tempted by it. It's the same reason I don't have a bunch of snacks at home. Mm-hmm. I don't have a bunch of foods that I can't eat because I will eat them, yeah. and that will become a problem. And now we're media snacking as well. We're, we're going to our phones, so I have a, a boundary there where I just keep it in the junk drawer while I'm at home. Or I will eliminate the TV altogether. Or if it's bad enough, you can eliminate home internet altogether. It's something we talked about in Love People Use Things. Yeah. I mean, another thing that comes to mind is just creating more friction when it comes to your, your TV use, Nicole. So... I know Mariah and I, we uh, would stash our TV in a closet. So anytime we wanted to watch it, we had to like drag it out, hook it up, and then we would watch TV. Um, That really helped us be deliberate with it. So maybe there's something you could do to just create a little bit of friction to help you set that boundary. But, you know, Josh's point of uh, fasting uh, rather than dieting, so to speak, going without it, that's always going to be probably a little bit easier. Um, But yeah, there might be a way you can set up some boundaries with a little bit of friction. And if it's a net negative right now and you get rid of it and you find out that not having it is a bigger net negative for you, which I don't suspect will be true, you could always reintroduce it sometime in the future and then create the boundaries after you've learned how to go without it mm-hmm. for a period of time. James has a question for us. Hello, Josh and Ryan. Throughout both your lives, how do you keep the balance between your social relationships and improving your business slash career or filtering out the social groups that become a detriment to your personal or career growth and how to respectfully detach from it? Interesting. I never even like I would never consider this question because, you know, we hear that term work life balance. Yeah. And it's it's silly because it's just life. Yes. We, we don't have any other something life balance like there's right. a painting behind us Ryan I don't right. have a painting life balance right and no one's asking with work life balance how can I get more work in my life <laughs> <laughs> it's always about how can I get more life in my life uh yeah no you're absolutely right I, th- I think this is a misnomer that yeah. uh is perpetuated in our society what what I'll say James is that everything I do is is for my life whether it's work or whether it's uh, the social aspect of it and the people that I uh, associate with and the relationships that I develop are people who um, often who I look up to. I mean, that's kind of uh, my, um, my uh, uh, I don't know, my litmus test for like whether or not I'm going to uh, uh, try to develop a new relationship. Like I look at that person like, wow, like do I, do I want to be like them? Is there, is there something about them that I really look up to and vice versa? Like I don't want to just take from a relationship. I always I also think about what I can give to relationship as well. Yeah. The the problem I have here is a societal problem, and it manifests perfectly in James' question when he says, balance between your social relationships and improving your business slash career. Mm. That 
presupposes that I want to improve my business career. But there's always room for improvement, Josh. Nonsense. <laughs> and that's the lie we've been told. Mm. You need to improve, self-improvement, self-help. You are incomplete. No, you're already complete. So I'm not trying to improve my business. I mean, cosmetically, do we improve things? Yes. Like We make the studio look more beautiful. So if we're talking about improving the cosmetics, that never gets in the way of a social relationship of mine. So right. that's not what we're balancing here. Mm-hmm. You're talking about this greater notion that we have societally that we need to constantly grow. In fact, that word growth came up in his question, right? Mm-hmm. Personal slash career growth. Yeah. Well, I've already detached from the desire to grow in that way, uh, to to constantly improve myself over and over and over. And instead, I have a high standard. I show up and do the best that I can given the resources that I have. And now, the byproduct of that actually might be that we do grow in time. Yeah. But we... It doesn't become the point of doing what we're doing. It becomes the byproduct of doing what we're doing. If you're really compelled to do what you're doing, you're automatically going to grow. And that might mean that the people who are doing it along with you, the team that you're with, that you're working alongside, they become a fundamental part of your social life, of of just of your life in general. I wouldn't even say social life because it's all life, right? Part of your life is social. Part of your life might be solitary. Mm-hmm. It's determining, we talked about that with the marriage question earlier, how much of that time do you want to be around other people? And for Ryan, that answer is going to be a lot more than someone like me. Mm-hmm. And neither one of those answers are right or wrong. They're what's appropriate for each of us. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't know, man. I, I You correct me if I'm wrong, but I have the feeling right now of just saying like anything that we go out of our way to do to grow, it almost seems um, like that's not the best use of our time and attention. Now, there are certain things like, you know, if you want to learn how to do something, we'll take a class, we'll read a book and we'll learn. But it's not for the sake of growth. It's for the sake of, of learning. And even then, I think learning, I, I'm totally with you. I would even mm. take it a step farther. Mm. I would say even learning is like a trying to grow in a way. And yeah. learning can often be the problem mm. because kids don't learn that way. When you look at a, a four-year-old, the way that they learn is full immersion. Even if like, or, or here's a better example, an eight-year-old, if they don't know how to read, but they're really compelled to read a Harry Potter book, mm. they can learn how to read in about three weeks. Mm. How insane is that? That is pretty insane. Wow. But if they, if you want to get them to read a calculus textbook, <laughs> they're never going to learn how to read. <laughs> and so it has to do with a, a deep interest in something. Learning is really a byproduct of a deep interest, a compulsion, maybe even what one might call a healthy obsession with something. Mm. And so if you find something tremendously compelling, wow. That's the opportunity for learning. Not that you should learn about it, but you're so compelled by it, you're going to learn about it anyway. I know, Jordan, you uh, you did film school at one point, but what you've learned so much from is actual immersion in filmmaking as opposed to being in a classroom reading theory. Now, some of those theories might point uh, toward a, a slightly more direct path somewhere, but ultimately, it's about immersion in the art itself. Mm. We have a question here from Matthew. 
Do you have any podcasts that you listen to on a regular basis? Do you have two or three, Ryan, that really stand out to you? Oh, man. I, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but it is the number one Patreon podcast, uh, Q Anonymous, that just basically goes through like current events in a way that isn't newsy. It's more of like factual, but they kind of pick apart the crazy conspiracy theories, which I just find fascinating in general. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I li- they come out with, uh, I think it's once every two weeks or maybe it's once a week they come out with about an hour episode. I listen to that. I haven't become a Patreon supporter of theirs yet, but I might. Um, but honestly, man, other than that, I don't really, Joe Rogan I, every once in a while, mm-hmm. only because he'll have... Um, that I, I have more to do with the guests than, than exa- Joe. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then uh, the third one um, philosophize this. It's just these little um, thirty-minute philosophy episodes. Uh, yeah. Adam West, I think, is who does that. It's uh, Stephen West. Stephen yeah. West, yeah. Adam West, that's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephen West. So those would be like the the three of them. But yeah, um, the Q Anonymous is a total guilty pleasure. Like that is, I don't think you're going to learn anything from that. It's just a guilty pleasure of mine. The uh, it's funny because. A lot of the guests that we have on the podcast are because I've listened to their podcast pretty regularly. So Ben Greenfield is a great mm-hmm. example of someone who's been on our podcast several times. I really enjoy his podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to every episode because not every episode piques my interest, but a, a large mm-hmm. chunk of them do. Yeah. I mean, he'll have, an inter- uh, he'll have an interesting episode about holistic dentistry. Mm-hmm. And then the next episode will, will be about autoimmune issues. And, yeah. and he'll get into the science with a particular guest. And then from there, we'll find other guests. And so... Quite often, um, I'll, I'll go down a rabbit hole. So a lot of the guests you've heard on our podcast, because I enjoy their podcast. Ben Greenfield is a good example. Rob Bell is mm-hmm. another example. Yeah. Rich Roll is Max an Lugavere. example. Yeah. 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 We just recorded an episode with Max Lugavere. He has a new book coming out called Genius Kitchen. And so we, uh, I'll listen to their podcast. And I'll tell you, here's one other podcast I listen to all the time, every week. The Minimalist Podcast. <laughs> I got to tell you, this is like my favorite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they always say like, you know, make the thing that you wish that was made for the world. Mm-hmm. And like, I actually, I all go back and listen to our podcast. I'm like, I can't believe I said that. Or, wow, Ryan was really on today. <laughs> and I really enjoy going back and listening to old episodes of the Minimalist Podcast. That's and if great. I didn't, then I probably wouldn't want to uh, to keep making it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th- those are those are just a few. We have a question here from Robin. Hi. If fans see you out and about, do you prefer to be acknowledged or not? I sat a few rows behind you at a comedy show at Largo. Not knowing your preferences, I elected not to say hello. But if it happens again, I'd love to say hello and thank you, if it's okay with you. What thank comedy, you for all you do. What kind of show, what, what, what comedy show was that? I was, I don't know. I, th- I went to Anthony Jeselnik once there. Oh, is that the one a, over on um, La, La Cienega? Is La Cienega, it, yeah. It's that, it's that venue? Yeah, yeah, Largo. I don't have a preference. Personally, like, if someone recognizes me, recognizes me and they're like, hey, I really appreciate what you do. Like, I'm happy to, you know, give them a hug and, and say yeah, thank you for the kind words. And I don't ever feel put off. Um, I, very, I, I can't even think of when I've ever been. I've, I've known that you've gotten not put off, but overwhelmed with uh, people going out of their way to say hi to you. But that's kind of, those are outlier situations. Usually, like, it's a it's a great interaction. Um, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, my, my preference is doing what you prefer, right? Like if yeah. I see famous people around LA all the time, like actual famous people, and I don't, I very rarely will ever say anything to any of them, right? Yeah. Right across the street, we I saw Will Ferrell and um, oh, what's her name? Um, 
from SNL. Anyway, like eat, drinking coffee right in front of the coffee shop mm. across the street. And like you could tell like they were there, but like it was kind of a scene. Like everyone was sort of looking. And so I could understand someone like them being bombarded or a Justin Bieber who can't even go to a coffee shop oh, or wow. to a restaurant yeah. or Drake or someone like that. Ryan and I are a bit different where like one out of 20 people recognize us. Yeah. And even then it's not that same deep level. It's like, Hey, minimalist guy. Right. And, and so like, if you want to say hi to us, great. I love it. I love those interactions. I think it's wonderful. Uh, and <laughs> just if, don't follow him. Well, yeah, yeah, that's happened. Yeah, that's happened a couple of times. And, and yeah, I would, I would ask that like, if I'm walking somewhere, don't like try to walk the, to the entire destination yeah, with me. Yeah. But if you want to stop and get a hug and a, a picture or just say hi and have a quick conversation for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. If you're compelled to do that. Yes. But don't feel compelled because we happen to be there. But yeah, if you want to say hi, please do. I don't feel shy. You don't have to. We're we're pretty friendly. Dude, I ran in Mariah and I ran into Dave Chappelle in Yellow Springs, Ohio at a coffee shop. D- Dinos or Dinos? Anyway, um I was compelled to be like, "Oh, Dave, can I get a picture?" And like as I'm playing this out of my head, I'm like, I'm like, "Ryan, why do you want a picture with Dave Chappelle?" Mm. What's the what's the point of that picture? And I'm like, "Well, it'd be so I could prove I saw Dave Chappelle." Like like if someone if you tell this story to someone and they don't believe you, do you really care if they don't believe you? Well, <laughs> no, I guess I really don't care. Well, why else would you want the picture? So I could be like, "Hey, look, here's me and Dave Chappelle." Uh-huh. Like, but if there's no like valid reason that I actually uh, could think of to actually get a picture. Yeah. So yeah, I just let it go. I didn't like. I didn't even say hi to him. It was just you know, it was just more about like, oh cool, ran into Dave Chappelle. But literally, the only reason I have a picture is so I could be like, "Hey, Josh, I ran into Dave Chappelle. See, <laughs> I have the proof." <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I got it notarized. <laughs> the the thing about that is like, I think there's only one person I can think of where I would definitely, oh yeah, without a doubt, want a picture. I know with. who it is. Who's yours though? Do you have anyone for you? Oh, if you had one person. You're like, I definitely want a picture. Well, with, with what I know who yours person Vladimir is. Vladimir Putin or whoever. Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know um, who yours is, and because of that, I would say Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Only because that's what I get the most. People are like, if they say anything, they're like, oh, you kind of look like Jake Gyllenhaal. But yeah, um, but the resemblance I have with Jake Gyllenhaal has n- nothing on your resemblance with um, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> Tell, no, no, seriously, though. Tell him who you would get a picture I mean, with. Obviously, like my Twitter uh, bio for the longest time was it just said not Christopher Walken. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I get it, you know, two or three times a week. Yeah. Um, although it's funny you said, I mean, I know why you said this, Steve. There was one person who said that once. Like, yeah. And I'm like, this is the worst insult ever. Yeah. Like every once in a while, I'll get um, like David Bowie. Or, mm. But but I get Chris Walken like, like, once a week, twice a week, three times a week. Yeah, yeah, for and 
it's like, hey, you look like a young Christopher Walken. Yeah. And so, of course, if I would just want the opportunity just for social media mm-hmm. to take the picture and just be like hanging out with dad this weekend. Right, yeah. Just to confuse people, right? right? There, yeah, there are. Yeah, there's like so much you could do playing off that picture. Right. I, I get that 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's the one person that I'd love to take a picture with. Other other than that, I'd love to... There are quite a few people I would love to talk to. Mm, yeah. And then there's this category of celebrity that I really look up to that I would like to avoid talking to. Mm, oh, yeah. Well, Jonathan Franzen's a great example of this. He's my favorite n- living novelist, I think. I mean, it's either him or there's this woman named Lionel Shriver who's amazing. And, and even she, I don't think I would get along with her that much. Mm. And... Yet I look at their work. They produce these masterpieces. And I doubt that a conversation with them, I think I would just probably walk away disappointed because I would have this unfortunate expectation in my head. Yeah, There's someone else, though. I mean, there are other people where I would like to meet them. And the cool thing is we've created this podcast, so I get the opportunity to meet a lot of those people. Erwin McManus is one of those people. Heck yeah. I really enjoy it, and I've spent time with him outside of the podcast, but I, we get to meet a lot of amazing people simply because we have this podcast, and we put microphones in front of our faces, and we get to have conversations with these people. 100%, man. Yeah, there are plenty of people I would love to have a conversation with. Yeah. But as far as like, yeah, going out of my way to say hi and get a picture with them, there's very, there's, yeah, I can't think of many at all. You don't need the photo evidence that you had the conversation with them. Yeah. Although it'd be really cool if you could record it. And that's why we do it. Because right. now I can go back and listen to the conversation I had with Rob Bell or, yeah. or with Matt Nathanson. We were up in San Francisco Heck recently. Yeah. That was awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so being able yeah. to record it's great. Godin. Yeah. 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 For sure. There are so many people that we've had conversations with that I, can't even believe we get the privilege of sitting down and talking to them. Yeah. All right. We got one more question here from Matthew. Thank you to you and your awesome team. Your work makes a big difference and it is appreciated. Mm. What is the most unexpected benefit you all have discovered since your journey as the minimalists began? Mm. Let me say this. I'll say Yes, big thanks to the team. We got Jordan No More here, Podcast Sean, Danny Unknown, Alabama's here, Emma the Immigrant, and Social Jess are not in the room. But then beyond them, uh, we're working more with TK Coleman. We work mm-hmm. with the folks over at Booklight, at Catalyst, you know, Matt Diavella, and, and the films that we produce. Even the folks at extended teams like Jeff and Dave, our web developer and designer, uh, Sean Mahalik, who helps manage the writing class with mm-hmm. me. What we've done is we've partnered up with a bunch of people who aren't like-minded but they do share similar values Mm. to us and they're people that we enjoy knowing yeah and so yes i'm incredibly grateful for the team as well amen me too um you know when someone says thank you i always respond with well thank you for the support but i had somebody tell me they're like dude you need to like just look at someone and say you're welcome yeah so to this matthew i say you're welcome yeah And big thanks to the team. Amen. Now, to get to the rest of his question here, the most unexpected benefit that you've discovered since uh, becoming the minimalists. Oh, my whole life is unexpected. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All the benefits I have in my life. Oh, I don't know. It's really cool to be able to, like, again, not just um, have a team to work with, but like, like the people on the team. So yeah, that's a great unexpected benefit is just really enjoying, um, the coworkers. When I first stumbled into minimalism, it was, it was kind of about letting go and getting rid of excess stuff. 
and it still is to a great extent. But the biggest unexpected benefit that came from that was actually discovering what enough is Mm. and realizing the point of minimalism isn't simply subtracting, letting go, shedding the excess, decluttering or organizing or whatever you want to call it. The point is discovering that enough point and enough changes as we change. I was single when I first discovered minimalism. Now I have a wife and a daughter. And so what is enough now is different mm-hmm. from what was enough 12 years ago. Yeah. And what is enough 12 days from now may be slightly different. And so being willing to adjust. But that enough point, really understanding that and knowing that even though advertisements and society and culture, especially pop culture, might encourage me to want more than enough, as soon as I get more than enough, it often leads to misery or discontent or overwhelm or stress or debt or anxiety. More than enough is, by definition, always too much. Patrons, thank you so much for this. We're grateful for your time. Yes. This has been Ask the Minimalist Anything, number 53. You can ask your additional questions in the comments below on Patreon. We appreciate you. Love people. Use things. Thanks, patrons. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.